When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. One Arthur McBride, as we went a walking down by the seaside. Now mark what followed and what did betide, for it being on Christmas morning. Now for recreation, we went on a tramp, and we met Sergeant Napper and Corporal Vamp, and a little wee drummer intending to camp for the day being pleasant and charming. Good morning, good morning, the sergeant, he cried, and the same to you, gentlemen, we did reply, intending no harm but meant to pass by, for it being on Christmas morning. But, says he, my fine fellows, if you will enlist, ten guineas in gold, I'll stick in your fist, and a crown in the bargain for to kick up the dust and drink the king's health in the morning. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one or sometimes two songs at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly, and here to talk about, as I said, two songs from Bob Dylan's 1992 very, very charming acoustic folk album, Good As I've Been To You, is returning guest and musician Nathaniel Glasser. Hi, Nathaniel. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? I am doing great. I'm so happy to talk to you again. It's been a little while. We covered, as I went out one morning, uh, something like 30 episodes ago. So it's been too long since, since we've had you back. So, And I'm excited to, to cover these songs because as, uh, this is the first time we have gotten to this album. Uh, on this show, uh, good as 1992 is good as I've been to you because, of course, the show really focuses on uh, Bob Dylan's original songs. But this, uh, we're going to talk about Arthur McBride and Diamond Joe, two songs from the Good as I've Been to You album. So, like, what made you want to talk about instead of an original song, something from from this record? Well, first of all, I can't uh, say anything before I say, first of all, it's a, it's an amazing mitzvah that you do here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a long time ago, a friend of mine, uh, for my birthday, he gave me some kind of like, uh, it wasn't like self-help. It was kind of like the key to success looking at the work of, or like Bob Dylan. It was a kind of quirky book. And the, the, the main thesis of the book was like, he just does it, you know? And, and, and for me, it's like, uh, I feel like what you're doing with the pod Dylan is like you're you're doing it. So uh, props to you for. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. It, it gives all new meaning to the Nike uh, motto. <laughs> Bob Dylan. <laughs> Th- thank you. I do appreciate that. Yeah. Sometimes I, you know, I look back on some shows and I'm like, wow, I really did what I was doing there. I just did it. So, you know, we're, and now we're almost 120 episodes in. So again, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. But uh, no, I'm, uh, the thing is like, I, I must've uh, sent you uh, 15 songs. I, I listened to Tara Zook's uh, great, um, did you say Zook or Zuck? Uh, Tara Zook, I believe. Zook. Um, the, the, um, episode you did and, and i heard her say that she also sent you like 15 songs so yeah it's uh <laughs> yes with us uh you know it's like it's hard to know but i guess i felt like um yeah i remember you saying that uh, usually you want to choose something that's a little unusual and i you know I, arthur mcbride is a song i know apart from dylan's version so it, i thought it would be interesting to talk about that and then you you actually chose uh, diamond joe right um so that's uh i I remember hearing this album in the mid-90s when my brother, I have a brother, Jonathan, he's four years older than me. He went to Cornell University and he was visiting um, 
home in where in Connecticut where we lived, and uh, his roommate. Um, I remember he he really loved the last um, track from that Froggy Went to Court, in, which is mm-hmm. a, amazing, mm-hmm. like six minute uh, uh, kind of like children's song. Although when I listened to it recently, um, I was like, wow, Dylan has an amazing way of taking anything and he can make like a cheerful kid song sound almost apocalyptic. It's a dark <laughs> song. You listen to the words, you're like, oh my God, there's a lot of violence in this. Yeah, and and Arthur McBride um, is, a, is a very violent song. Uh, it, yes. it sounds very cheerful um, to begin with. You know, the melody is, is cheerful and it sounds pleasant. You know, they're uh, like you just read the opening lyrics. Uh, Me and my cousin, one Arthur McBride, we went walking down by the seaside and, you know, it's Christmas morning and suddenly they meet this uh, sergeant and corporal and the little drummer boy who we're presuming are from the English army. And this was a song from the 1800s, I think. Yeah, 1840 apparently was first collected by two different people. No one seems to actually know who who wrote it. No. So it's it's been in it, uh, it's been part of the the tradition in Ireland and I and I think even in Scotland um you know like the um I guess the British Isles, although I, I don't think it was that popular in England, <laughs> probably because it's no, an anti-recruiting song. And But it's, for me, uh, it's very Dylan because, first of all, the whole album is is a folk album, basically. And so he's going back, as we know, like Dylan, he, he uh, has this way of uh, when he kind of plateaus, maybe. Um, and this goes for music in general, just when you look at music as a whole it music always goes in this kind of progression of like it progresses it develops but then at a certain time it's going to plateau and you're going to also plateau in your musical career like with dylan and then what do you do during that time oftentimes you go back to um you know something that was earlier like a retro in even like classical music i mean uh the whole where classical comes from that in the 1700s they were going back to um idealizing like greek and roman um classical thought and and whatnot so they um so dylan is going back to his roots of uh, folk roots and um and you know obviously dylan being a jewish american you would think well on one hand his roots would be like uh, klezmer music or something but it, it wasn't <laughs> really i mean even for me who also grew up in a jewish family and uh for me like irish folk music is very feels like just a natural part of my musical roots because that's like on the east coast of uh of uh the the u.s northeast um uh folk music is so infused with irish and english and so the english like uh folk songs and ballads were like the cornerstone of the the folk revival so joan baez i mean most of her repertoire from the beginning was like uh, all those old songs so for him to go back and, and rediscover these songs that he probably um, was singing in Café Wa and the Gaslight and, and whatnot. Um, although this song, uh, it's interesting because both Arthur McBride and Diamond Joe, I looked up how many times they were played. He's never done these five. Zero. <laughs> exactly. But there is another song, which is how he actually found Arthur, this version of Arthur McBride, which is the Lakes of uh, Pontchartrain. Right, which he has done live. Yeah, and he did that a lot live, like in 88, 89. And he, I don't know if you had a chance to look at that clip I sent you of... Um, I did, of Paul Brady singing the singing the song. Exactly, and and he has this great story about that 
his recording of Licks of Pontchartrain that he got a call from his manager and, and the manager said, Dylan wants to meet you because of your recording. So he, he went backstage uh, at a concert Dylan did in uh, Wembley Stadium in, in England and uh, Dylan asked him to actually teach him um, Licks of Pontchartrain, like the guitar part. Cause, and, but he has, Paul Brady has this like virtuoso uh, way of playing in open tuning and Dylan, I know he's done some open, I think a lot of Tangled Up, or, or uh, Blood on the Tracks, he does open tuning. Uh, Before you go further, though, sorry. what does that mean? I don't know what, it, I've heard that phrase, open tuning, and I'm not being a musician, I have no clue what it means. So explain that to well, me. I actually have a guitar with me. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so usual tuning is like, uh, um, like this. That's the usual. It's slightly out of tune. Um, but uh, so open, one simple open tuning would be like you take the, so this is E, a D G B E and you know the regular chords like this is a G this is a D so one way of doing an open tuning would be like you take the top E string and you take it down and you get uh, and then I can take the first string And then we get, this is the actual tuning for um, Masters of War, I think. Uh, let me just see if I remember. Um, uh, something like that. I, I can't quite remember how. But that's that's one open tuning. That's drop D. So that means basically like um, there's, it will give a completely different. I mean, Joni Mitchell is basically the one to credit with like she invented like uh, five new open tunings or something like that. Like she, oh, wow. yeah, okay. she's like a master open tuner. So in a lot of folk music, like the original folk uh, tunings, I mean, there there was no standard. Like now we have that standard way of tuning the guitar, which like we're kind of stuck in. And that's partially, partially the reason why maybe some would argue that things have gotten a little bit more boring because um, back then it was so experimental and it was like, you know, early blues when you listen to early blues or it's so, it sounds so archaic, but also it's kind of exciting in that way. I mean, um, the uh, really legendary blues, uh, Robert Johnson, he had like a seventh string. He like put on a seventh string <laughs> on his guitar and, you know, people had shoebox fiddles and all kinds of weird stuff. So, um, and that's kind of a refreshing thing with this album is that he's going back to this kind of more archaic um, music in a way. I mean, it, uh, Woody Guthrie, it sounds so, it also sounds very archaic because it's so kind of asymmetrical. And Dylan was a huge, you know, he, he called himself a Woody Guthrie jukebox. Right. Um, and then I think it was when he heard Ramblin' Jack Elliott that he was like, wow, this is amazing. And then he heard like, was it like Hank Williams after that? Or I don't know, just like, he he got his mind blown a couple of times by music that I think um, in a way they were getting a little bit more things were getting a little bit more symmetrical and and that sounds a bit boring to say it that way but they still had the the, the magic so anyway to make a long story shorter um, Lake Sapancha Train was a song that Dylan performed a lot and I think that in a way that would have been the natural thing for him to put on this album mm -hmm. but then. Arthur McBride, um, speaking of Woody Guthrie, for me, is kind of like, uh, did you read Positively Fourth Street? 
the book? Uh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, um, in uh, Positively Fourth Street, they talk about the kind of two so-called camps of, uh, I don't know, maybe like nonviolent so, uh, or, or, as opposed to pacifism or, or um, you know, your stance on things. And they said there was the Woody Guthrie camp and the Pete Seeger camp. And the, the Woody, Woody Guthrie famously had uh, on his guitar, it said, uh, this mach- machine kills fascists. fascists exactly. right. Do you know what it said on Pete Seeger's? No. Banjo. It said on his banjo, it said, um, this uh, machine surrounds hate and forces it conquered to love or something like that. Like it was, it was a little bit softer, even though. <laughs> not, yeah, not quite as punchy. <laughs> not quite. Although Pete Seeger, as we know, used to uh, shoot, you know, I mean, he would shoot in the air anyway if people got, got onto his property. Um, <laughs> he had a shotgun, apparently. Um, so. But uh, so for me, Arthur McBride is kind of fits the Woody Guthrie style of uh, anti-recruiting song because uh, it is almost like uh, it reminds me a little bit of like uh, it's it's very cinematic. You know, it's like you can see things almost like a Martin Scorsese. I mean, I I can't even watch Scorsese too violent for me, but it's like I know that Dylan loves Scorsese. I mean, I can watch his music documentaries, of course, (laughs) but, you know, um, but uh, and um, and Duquesne Whistle, the, the 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 video for Duquesne Whistle is incredibly violent. Yeah, a lot of Bob's videos have a lot of violent content. It's a yeah. little little off putting at times, I will say. Yeah. So th- this for me is kind of like it fits that strain of Dylan. That that's and and then just if you look at it just from a you know it's a it's a story folk you know folk songs are famously uh, telling a story and this one is a very literal story they're, they're naming these people right away like sergeant napper and corporal vamp as if we're supposed to know who they are but yeah <laughs> this record is all full of names like most of the songs are somebody's name there's yeah. only a handful that are not uh, just a you know blackjack davy or canada dio yeah. or frankie and frankie and albert i mean it's it's a very you know pr- noun centric uh album yeah that's interesting yeah i didn't think of it- Think of that. Um, but uh, and then just one general thing I want to say about the, the whole sound of the album is just that. Um, I mean, I love the sound of his voice. He has that uh, the sound of the voice that he had at that time, um, kind of nasal. And it's, it's very, very pinched. Like when he sings that line about corporal vamp. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and this was pre-internet 1992. I didn't have access to the lyrics. Yeah. You know, I mean, so he's like, and I'm like, what is he saying? I literally couldn't make it out. Uh, I love the word when he says that, that they took out the his, his, his trusty shillele. He took out his, his shillele, like his like Gandalf stick, you know. And 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 uh, and so another thing that makes it sound even more nasal and pinched is the sound of the guitar. I don't know if you noticed this, but the guitar. To me, and I, I asked a musician friend about this, and I got this confirmed, that I'm 99% sure that it was lined, uh, which means that, you know, they plugged it in with a cable. It's an acoustic guitar, but, it, you know, you can plug it in. And so the microphone is on the inside of the guitar, which gives it this, like, for me, in, instead of having a microphone in front of the guitar, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. They lined it. I don't even think, you know... Maybe nowadays you might line it and put a microphone in front of the guitar to maybe, you know, mix those two together if you want to get a certain sound. But this was like, sounds very lined. And to me, it's like, it sounds like sitting in a pub. It's like a pub atmosphere to the song. Like you could imagine Dylan sitting in this like dingy Irish pub somewhere, like uh, singing these songs and like, um, 
But at the time, I, I think that gives it a little bit of a dated, it sounds like an early 90s recorded thing. And at the time, maybe that just was their way of sounding kind of shiny. And, uh, you know, maybe that sounded modern at the time. I don't know. Right. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the cinematic uh, sort of feel to this song, because obviously I, I looked up, this was made into a short film yeah. in 1978 called Christmas Morning, which is so funny because, I mean, the title really doesn't suggest <laughs> the content that you're going to get. I mean, Christmas Morning sounds like one of those Hallmark Christmas specials, and then you watch it and you're like, oh, God, there's guys bashing each other's heads open. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to – we talked a little bit about the record, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it at the end of the show. But it's it's sort of funny that most of these songs are not songs that Dylan has um, – for, for my limited access, of course – has like lived with you know what i mean like he hasn't performed them and we mentioned that he hasn't performed them live now maybe these maybe this is the kind of thing that he plays when he's sitting around with his pals back at his house you know when he's got he's sitting there with neil young and they're just trading tunes back and forth this is the stuff that he plays but it's sort of funny that he would release uh an all covers album and almost all the songs are songs no one's ever heard him do before i mean that seems i mean you know it has been known that Bob Dylan can do some unusual things that yeah. we're not expecting. But it's just sort of funny to me that you say, like, this record doesn't have Lakes of Pontchartrain on it, but it has Arthur McBride. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that was part of the, the point. And, again, I'll get to that shortly in the in – the, um, when I mentioned something about a review from this record. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, you talk about the, the, the sound of it. It's very bright. Like, the, the tune is very bright and upbeat sounding. And then you get to the, the words, and as you talked about, it gets – you know, it gets – really dark i mean i i talked about the um i quoted the first two verses and it goes on he says for a soldier he leads a very fine life and he always is blessed with a charming young wife and he pays all his debts without sorrow or strife and he always lives pleasant and charming i love the way bob sings pleasant and charming <laughs> yeah, yeah. as and as a soldier he's always decent and clean in the finest of clothes he's constantly seen while other poor fellows go dirty and mean and sup on thin gruel in the morning but, says Arthur, I wouldn't be proud of your clothes, for you're only the lend of them, as I suppose. But you dare not change them one night, for you know, if you do, you'll be flogged in the morning. And although that we're single and free, we take great delight in our own company. We have no desire strange places to see, although that your offers are charming. I love the idea of the Brit- presumably British uh, recruiter trying to sell on a sell to a soldier that his clothes will always be clean. Good yeah. lord! Yeah. You know, they could, could, and there could be nothing further from the truth. Yeah, yeah. no, totally. And I, I don't know. I, I think this song, you know, as I said, he got from Paul Brady, who actually took some pride in the fact that he he used the word gruel because that that was apparently Paul's uh, little change that he made in a, in an atmosphere of. Where he said, in those days, you were not allowed to change one word of a folk song. I mean, like, you know, there there was different uh, camps there, too, in England and in Ireland. Uh, Ewan McCall um, had a folk club in um, in England where you were only allowed to play a folk song that comes from your town. <laughs> like, from wow. your, you know, you, were, you weren't allowed to, like, it was supposed to be so authentic. And... Um, and speaking of authenticity, I mean, you know, um, Dylan's songs obviously um, are authentic because he wrote them. But he said about folk songs, you know, these, these songs are true for him. And um, he does sing them so convincingly, even if he has a, this like quirky and unconventional way of singing and playing. Um, incidentally, his guitar is a little out of tune on this track. And I noticed that the quality of the recording sounds different. So I think this is like 
probably they had recorded a bunch of tracks in a row. Then, you know, they took a break. He had dinner, came back. <laughs> and he might have been, like, a little inebriated because not being able to tune a guitar properly is, like, one of the... Which could account for, like, a, a part of the, the extra um, sound of his voice there. But either way, he pulls it off fantastically. And it, it's... it's uh, you know, just about these songs being, uh, if he's lived with them, I wonder if he did a lot of these songs, like Frankie and Albert and Stackley, that's on the other album from that. That's, yeah, World Gone yeah. Wrong, yeah. But those kinds of songs, I think he might have sung, or at least he heard them a gazillion times at, like, Cafe One. Sure, Cafe. sure. Uh, one song from this album really reminds you of Dave Van Ronk's song, I'm sure he did it, uh, You're Gonna Make Me Quit. Mm-hmm. It's so bluesy, folky, and the way he uses his voice and changes his voice is like uh, Dave Van Rugg. It also kind of reminds me of like a song that Paul McCartney could have written, you know, when he was. And that's the song that gives the album its title. That's the line. There's a line, and you're going to quit me, which is good as I've been to you. Is Lord, Lord, oh, and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. He gets okay. the title, which is, you know, I remember when I first heard this record was coming out. I good as I've been to you. I was like, what a strange mm-hmm. bunch of words. Like that. It's just yeah. like not, not a natural phrase you sort of hear. So I was sort of baffled by. Then then I've heard it in the song. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, in terms of Bob's guitar playing, I mean, it's this whole record seems. I don't mean to I, – I, again, I'm not a musician, and mm-hmm. so I don't know how to do any of this. So I would never presume to say, oh, something's easier than something uh, else because what do I know? But it, but I have read enough, enough a, a number of reviews of this record talking about how this is much more sophisticated guitar playing than we're used to Bob Dylan. Like he kind of does very simple arrangements, and this is much more elaborate and sort of um, shows a lot more dexterity. Uh, than people expected from him is that does that sound right actually it, it's great that you said that because um i i think it's uh first of all if you're a dylan fan then he's underrated in a number of areas like as a right. musician as a guitarist as a pianist singer plus he invented folk rock hip-hop and hard rock you know um but um, just that <laughs> and he's a master painter and welder as we know did the first music video you know <laughs> exactly he's the singer song i mean but it's amazing how like he can for Dylan fans. I mean, we we like know all this stuff, and but uh, so I, yeah, it's true that it's incredible. I uh, guitar playing, although I think part of what made his early songs sound so good, in which people don't talk about that much, is the guitar player. I mean, he's a, he's been a fantastic guitar player since the beginning. I mean, it, it you know, on different levels of sophistication, but he does so much subtle stuff on like the free will and Bob Dylan. That's just like, to this day blows my mind. And in the way, um, with God on our side, he, he plays this really rubato way, you know, he just, Oh, my baby means love. You know, the way he does it, even though it's just like this, it sounds like it's kind of random. It has almost like a pattern to it. Um, so it's true that the guitar playing is elaborate. I think he makes it sound almost like an orchestra he, or a piano, at least. He has the bass, he has the treble, and then he has the melody in the middle. He has this thing, you know, he's doing finger pick, uh, flat picking, I should say. He's using a pick and he's doing the melody. Um, so uh, Arthur McBride is not maybe as, uh, it was nowhere near as elaborate as uh, what Paul Brady does, but it's definitely, it's um, inspired by that. Just to mention one more thing about where Paul Brady got this song. Because Arthur McBride was a folk song in, uh, like I said, the British Isles for a long time before Brady did his classic recording in the 70s. And that 
is actually from, he was visiting a friend in uh, Rhode Island when he was with uh, his group Planksty, I think, and uh, found this version of Arthur McBride in the book that was a collection of folk songs that a woman called Carrie Grover, who was from Maine, but her parents and grandparents were from Nova Scotia and farther back from like Scotland, I think. And they had all these folk songs. And she wrote to Alan Lomax, the uh, musicologist and ethnographer. And Alan Lomax invited her down to the Library of Congress in D.C. and recorded this version of uh, Arthur McBride. So Brady never actually heard Carrie Grover's uh, rendition till later. He saw it in a book that they had transcribed, you know, to preserve all these folk songs. And in, it just breathed new life into this song. That And it had those extra verses, which are much more violent than the... Which, for me, is like, uh, you know, in the U.S., everything gets more violent. <laughs> we paid no respect to their two bloody backs. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. It, they left them uh, like a pair of wet sacks and left them for dead. In the left form. them for dead, yeah. God. <laughs> and yet the tune is so upbeat sounding. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. Which is an, another th- uh, thing about Dylan, which is like... You know, he's a true artist and poet, and uh, and I think a, a true artist will show you that, you know, the gray between the black and the white. You know, it's, it sounds nice, life might seem, if you, when you're happy, you know, there, there's always going to be sadness, <laughs> unfortunately. And mm-hmm. sad, there's going to be happiness. So, um, Gabriel Garcia Lorca, the um, Spanish poet who was uh, killed by uh, Franco's army, I'm sure... Dylan was inspired by Lorca. I mean, he read all those old poets. And uh, Lorca actually had a quote, uh, at the heart of all great art is an essential melancholy. And I think, wasn't it Dylan that said, um, behind beauty, there's sadness or something? Uh, that I don't know that quote, but that certainly sounds like something he might say. I mean, good Lord, in that, that commercial he did for IBM where the he's talking to the computer and the computer says something about love fades. And he goes, that sounds about right. right. <laughs> like, OK, that's <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's Bob's. And that's definitely sort of I think seems like his, his point of view. I mean, the song, the, it's funny, the song ends where it begins, where after they have beaten the crap out of these guys and, yeah. and you said left them for dead it ends with where it starts he says oh well, me and my cousin and arthur mcbride by the way we never know who this other person is arthur mcbride is not this is not the singer that's the you know he's the cousin oh, of the right. singer. yeah 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 uh as we went walking down by the seaside mark now what followed and what did betide for being on christmas morning and it it's and it he stretches out the morning part of that and it's a really sweet beautiful little melody and for for how long it is this track is about six minutes yeah uh it's i mean it, it's it doesn't uh i don't think really like it wears out it's welcome like it goes to me it, it flows very nicely and i i again as i said but pre-lyrics i always had a tough time to figure out what bob is even singing because as you mentioned like it's a shillelagh <laughs> there's a lot of old-timey language in this yeah uh i mean there's a thing about the we're f- for we were the lads who would give them hard clouts I mean, I, there's just error. We made a football of his rowdy dow. Oh, yeah. There's lots of language. And you're just like to a modern person. You're like, what? What? Is, what? Literally, what is he talking about? So <laughs> yeah, I, thought, um, I thought they kicked his head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I guess yeah, they kicked I mean, his drum into the ocean. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's. Uh, yeah. No, it's, I think, like you said, the uh, the lyrics are part of what keeps you captivated. And then to bring it full circle, like you said, at the end is, is really uh, ingenious to just repeat the first half of the first stanza and and that circular circularity is actually an, another um 
thing that I've been thinking about because this uh, book that my wife got me for my birthday um, uh, is called the Bob Dylan, what the songs mean or something like that. And I was so skeptical of it because I was like, who is this guy? There's nothing about who he is. It's like Michael Grandowski or something. And I guess he's a journalist uh, that's been writing a lot about Dylan and I think Neil Young and other people from England. And, but it's a really deep read, actually. I mean, he uh, starts off with all these, uh, showing all the these biblical root, roots and all these quotes about rainbows and the wind. And, and, and he talks, he spends the first chapter or first, first few pages of the first chapter defining what is art, what is an artist, what is happiness. And it, you, you kind of have to like uh, buy into his uh, theory a little bit. But he does talk about the um, Dylan's always been guided by what he calls the spirit of truth. So for him to sing these songs um, and to say that, you know, these songs are true for me. And um, and he talks also about the circularity, the circular aspect of songs. So they kind of fulfill themselves in a way like uh, you don't need to have heard much else to be able to appreciate this. So even if it has old timey language and and whatnot in it, and it's uh, it's odd song by the end, you're like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's Arthur McBride. <laughs> yeah, these these two guys, Arthur McBride and his cousin, just go back on their way. You know, they're just walking, they're walking down by the seaside, and then they get accosted by these recruiters, uh. which is again very aggressive when you think about it. We that's living in America. I mean, we're very, very, very military militarized uh, country and and, and people. Uh, but nevertheless, having someone literally walking up to you trying to recruit you is a little like let me the hell alone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like geez, but I mean it's it's kind of it. it, it you mentioned the Duquesne whistle video, and it's sort of. Reminds me of that a little bit because through Duquesne Whistle, you've got Bob and this sort of motley crew of people walking behind him, passing by uh, these scenes of violence and kind of not paying any attention to it. And in a weird way, you've kind of got that with Arthur McBride is that these two guys are walking. They get accosted. They beat the living crap out of the the recruiters, leave their – and then just continue back on their walk like it never happened. You know, It's like, okay, let's just continue on and go get our – scones and our tea and yeah, yeah. all right that that, that that was the thing that happened so it's a very very unusual song and then you know i will again we're going to talk about it uh on the back end of the show about what maybe bob's intention was with this whole with this entire record in the first place so but yeah so that's uh that's arthur mcbride and i just want to say one last thing that the the um uh you know i think for irish people living under english uh, oppression for like hundreds of years and you know th- this maybe wasn't uh, so bad you know <laughs> like, it right. was like uh, i mean it's uh it can make me like uh, squeamish to to uh uh you know the some of the details but it's like for them it was probably like yeah they fucking showed them <laughs> right <laughs> right 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 yeah but yeah absolutely uh. So, um, all right. Well, said. So, well, we're in, a little bit change up. We're going to take a break. Yeah. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the, the other song from this record that we want to discuss, which is Diamond Joe. So stick around, everybody. For years, the Fire and Water Podcast Network has found its joy talking about comics. From Aquaman and Firestorm to Batman and Plastic Man. From giant treasuries to pocket-sized digests. From massive miniseries events to singular one-shot adventures. From romance to horror to whatever the hell Ohatmu or not is. 
in the last year, they've begun to carve a path through their favorite television shows, such as MASH, Cheers, and Justice League Unlimited, and there's no sign of them stopping. What medium will fire and water conquer next? Introducing Fire and Water Records, the music anthology podcast from the Fire and Water Network. Find your joy in all new ways as members of the Fire and Water Network and their friends discuss favorite songs, albums, concerts, and artists. Hang on, I've been doing a music show for two years. Featuring Record Revolution. Join the brothers daily as we catalog the essential years that shaped popular music and our own lives. A very daily Christmas. An annual celebration of our favorite holiday tracks. Plus, all new episodes of Zoom for Sam. The show in which I share my joy of Samantha Fox by spotlighting a single single every single episode. And Pod Dylan. No, not Pod Dylan. We discussed this. That's staying on its own feed. Not Pod Dylan, but everything else I said. Plus, so much more. There's even a chance David Ace Gutierrez will show up. Which brings us back to Fastball, which is really one of the most interesting American bands in the world today. When you think about the number of side projects and solo projects associated with the band, it actually almost out. Fire and Water Records, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Now there's a man you'll hear about most anywhere you go. <laughs> And his holdings are in Texas, and his name is Diamond Joe. And he carries all his money in a diamond-studded jar. He never took much trouble with the process of the law. Welcome back to Pod Dylan. This is Rob Kelly, the freewheeling <laughs> Rob Kelly. And here to talk to me about a really interesting <laughs> song from an interesting album is Rob Kelly. Welcome back to your <laughs> show, Rob Kelly. Well, all right, Nathaniel. All right, everybody. Before we started the show, Nathaniel said he had a really good invitation on me all planned. So we thought, well, this will be perfect. We'll come back with a break and do it. So those of you listening, uh, let me know what you thought of Nathaniel's impersonation of me over on the website, firewaterpodcast.com. We'll see. I just have to say that was with zero practice. I think I could do it even better, but that was really fun. Thanks. Okay. For all right. <laughs> I was dying to hear what, what, supposedly i sounded like so maybe that is what i sound like i don't know i'm horrified right now but anyway okay so yes yeah, so we're we're here, we're here to talk about diamond joe which is uh just actually it's the uh very next oh, it's not the very next song after arthur mcbride there's one there's you're gonna quit me in between and the diamond joe is the penultimate song on the record uh it's a nathaniel sang the first couple of uh, verses from it uh it is written uh, supposedly in the 1950s by cisco houston um, it is, I mean, to me, I, re, I, it's, it's my favorite song on this record. Um, mm -hmm. I like the simplicity of it. The way Arthur McBride is about six minutes and kind of tells this rambling story. Diamond Joe is very short. It's not even, it's barely three minutes. It's very of mice and men kind of thing. It's like guys oh. working at, or, uh, the grapes of wrath. It's guys working out in the field for oh, some yeah. boss who treats them like shit. And that's Diamond mm -hmm. Joe. I mean, even the name Diamond Joe. You know, suggests a kind of hoity-toity kind of thing that this guy carries himself while he's keeping his employees 
constantly in, you know, basically indentured servitude, which I think most people can relate to. Um, the third verse, he says, they hired out to Diamond Joe Boy. I did offer him my hand. He gave me a string of horses so old they could not stand. And I nearly starved to death, boys. He did mistreat me so. And I never saved a dollar in the pay of Diamond Joe. Now his bread, it was corn dodger, and his meat you couldn't chaw. Nearly drove me crazy with the wagon of his jaw. And the telling of his story, mean to let you know that there never was a rounder that could lie like Diamond Joe. And man, do I love the way Bob Dylan sings, lie like Diamond Joe. I love he's yeah. like a lie like Diamond Joe. And <laughs> you get this image of a guy working you know, like again, like an of mice and men thing where it's a bunch of guys that work out in the fields, then they go back to the company store where of course, you know, that's that's where you have to buy your food and your your various items and everything's marked up because it's yeah. it's a it's a it's a uh, you know, rigged system and he's back in like the barracks with these guys and it's just a guy playing a song about somebody they all know. I mean, he's the the, the constant referring to boys. Really, to oh, me, paints yeah. such an image of him just sitting like on a bunk bed with a guitar playing the song, and the rest of the guys are like, "Yeah, that Diamond Joe, that piece of garbage." And it, it's—I just love the simple quietness of it. I think it's just mm-hmm. beautiful. It's very vulnerable sounding. I mean, yes. uh, it's almost on the—it's interesting, uh, like verge of self-pity. But you know, at the end, at least he sticks. He, he says, uh, "Give my give give him the fleas, <laughs> like uh, at least a little sense of power. Like we're gonna stick it to him, uh, or, or at least I don't know. It's it's I love songs that you're like you listen to them and you're like I didn't even know that I had that emotion in me, mm-hmm. or that there was that combination of emotions because there's the music, there's the lyrics, there's the point of view, um, and then Dylan is just a, a master." word painter with his the way he sings well it's sort of funny that both these songs that are on bobdylan.com they are credited to being written by bob dylan and then it says arrange which uh means you get it's a separate songwriting credit where you get a, a credit for coming up with a different arrangement but i mean whoever came whoever put these on bobdylan.com was playing a little fast and loose with the word written because yeah. Bob Dylan did not write this song. He did not no. write Arthur McBride. And, I mean, I understand that you get credit for arranging something when you come up with a new tune for it. But, I mean, good Lord, when you put written by Bob Dylan, that really means kind of one thing. And he did not write either one of these. He didn't write any of these songs on the record. So it's they're, they're playing a little fast and loose with that credit. In fact, I, I think he got into some trouble. I know he got sued by one Australian. Yeah, I think for guy. tomorrow night. I think they, I yeah. think that song is miscredited as a, as traditional, and it's not. There were people knew. Yeah. How do you make that mistake? You know, how well, does how does Columbia Records make that mistake? Don't they have a research department? Yeah, I mean, th- this is the kind of thing that really drove Izzy Young up a wall. Was um, it, we we talked about Izzy Young um, uh, last time? Yes. Um, who uh, actually passed away in between the recording of that podcast and when you put that out. I'm so sorry to hear that. That, that was sad. But um, interestingly, his uh, the Folklore Center, and we don't have time to talk about it now, but just if you're listening and you don't know what the Folklore Center in Izzy Young was, then uh, just Google it or read Chronicles. And um, so I'm in Stockholm, Sweden, by the way, and that's where Izzy uh, moved in. Uh, so after Izzy died, the Folklore Center turned into a flower shop, and it looks like a, a permanent memorial mm-hmm. for Izzy, which is kind of nice. But, um, you know, I remember Izzy saying that, because uh, he actually he handed me a letter once to send to Pete Seeger, 
I think I mentioned that last time. Mm-hmm. And and he said uh, the one squabble he had with Pete Seeger was this whole thing about uh, giving credit to, like, instead of writing anonymous. I mean, if you know who the person is, you need to give them uh, the rights and the royalties. You know what I mean? And I know uh, Paul Simon and uh, uh, has gotten in trouble for this, too, and, and also uh, Alan Lomax. I mean, or who was there was a manager of a lead belly. Who was that? I can't remember now, but he, one of these managers would famously like, uh, you know, they, they weren't giving people credit. I was impressed that you found out who wrote this diamond Joe, because you said it was Cisco Houston. Cisco, there were two songs, by the way, named diamond Joe. And right. there's, there's the, the one that Bob is covering here. Uh, I, as far as I found online said it was written in the 1950s by Cisco Houston. And that's, I'm sure Bob is a fan of Cisco Houston. He's mentioned Cisco Houston on a theme time radio hour. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes total sense that this is a song he would have been familiar with. Yeah. And uh, I think, uh, cause when I looked it up, uh, I listened to a few different versions. Some um, rambling Jack Elliott was the, number one hit that comes up mm-hmm. when you look for this version and that's <laughs> such a speaking of archaic sounding i mean like the there's such dissonance in the way he sings and the chords like there's certain parts that it just sounds almost wrong to our ears which expect a certain level of like harmony going together with melody um they weren't as concerned in a way or they had a different you know sound universe at that time um dylan one thing I really like about this is that he really puts his touch on it so nicely. Um, it, uh, I just wanted to show you one thing on the guitar that he does, which is the super typical Dylan. Um, now, there's a man you hear about, moves anywhere you go. In his holdings are in Texas, in his knees dying Joe. And then he goes like this. That That thing is like a G going to a... G sus six or I don't know C with the G in the bass depending on how we want to look at it but he uses that in a lot of songs and I just thought that was a nice like way of uh, making it sound like a Dylan song. Mm. I love the 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 it there it has a very mournful sound to it that yeah, kind of yeah. the way the guitar gets very quiet and then it kind of comes roaring back a little bit and it's it's perfect for the song because as you said the song is very self pitying mm-hmm. uh, but i mean with good reason i mean this is this is somebody <laughs> that's that that unfortunately has come to work for this diamond joe and then he can't get out of it and i think you know again a lot of us can relate to <laughs> to that situation where you're kind of stuck under with an employer and you're like i can't just get out of this damn thing i mean Every job, virtually every job I've ever had at some point, I'm like, I've got to get out of here, you know? I mean, so. Except for podcasting, right? Except, well, that's unfortunately (laughs) not a job as of yet. Uh, But no, unfortunately, it is not. We got to make that happen. Your mouth to God's ear, Nathaniel. Um, (laughs) The final final couple of verses, again, for a song that's got eight verses. Uh, it goes by very quickly. Uh, he says, now I treat, th- I tried three times to quit him, but he did argue. So I'm still punching cattle in the pay of diamond Joe. And when I'm called up yonder and it's my time to go give my blankets to my buddies, give the fleas to diamond Joe. And like you mentioned yeah. that it's like, that's the sm- That's the one little piece of revenge he's getting. But I mean, good Lord, he only gets revenge on diamond Joe in death. He doesn't even uh, get to really enjoy it. I mean, he's, it's, it's such a sad, sad song. Or it, it, right. Well, I guess when I mean, my time to go. Well, he says I'm called up yonder. I always took it as that's death. Heaven. Yeah, but yeah. but you're right. It could be that he gets out of there. But I mean, and also I love the idea, the, the line of uh, I tried three times to quit him, but he did argue so. Is that this guy is is smooth? 
this yeah. Diamond Joe guy can sort of talk you out of something, even though it's in you know you know you're being talked out, you know you're being flimflammed. Which of course Dylan loves singing about flimflam men. That's a big uh, thing for him. But I mean, what you could, you really could picture Diamond Joe uh, getting along quite well with. Um, what does flimflam mean? Oh, just like a a, a con man. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it, something. Before I looked at the lyrics, when when he sang that part, I tried three times to quit him. I got this feeling of uh, like codependency. Yes, way, yes, you know? I could see that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. It's uh, it's like he needs him at the same time. I mean, he's basically, like you said, it's almost like a form of slavery. I mean, indentured servants was like it's like one step up from being a slave, basically. Big um, Jim, by the way, I, that's the character okay. from Little. So Diamond yeah, Joe yeah. and Big Jim would totally be friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This and this is also a song where, kind of like with Arthur McBride, that uh, it's one of these songs that goes along, and then at the the end of every verse, I I, I see it more as like four verses. By the way, like. Uh, but um, when he gets to Diamond Joe, that's kind of like the end of most of the verses, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. And that could be like um, that could be a song about something good, you know. Like the, if Diamond Joe was a hero, you would also end the verse with like, and his name was Diamond Joe. Like mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. a good guy. Like uh, maybe one of the outlaws that were supposed to um, like like uh, John Wesley Harding or um, uh, the Woody Guthrie song. Um, uh, what was the um, outlaw? Oh, Pretty Boy uh, Floyd. Pretty Boy Floyd, which exactly. Bob Dylan has covered, by the way. He covered that. Song. Okay, so on an yeah. album or just yeah, the, uh, no, what? there was a um, a, a a Woody Guthrie tribute record in the eighties oh. called uh, "A Vision Shared," and he oh, sings really? Pretty Boy Floyd, and it's great. Cool. It's a great version of it. It's it's really fun. It's a, it's you can hear the delight in Bob's voice that he's singing Woody Guthrie songs. So yeah, uh, as as Nathaniel mentioned earlier, this song has been. Re- performed exactly zero times so i mean this is something he did on the record and then then just sort of put it aside but it's 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 always remained one of my favorites it's just to me it's i just love the sad mournfulness of it and it's just to me it it feels very cinematic much like arthur mcbride but it it, to me this feels like the kind of movies that bob grew up on 1940s movies you know cowboy movies or just any of that kind of stuff and so it's it i just love the the simplicity of it i think the, the the quiet beauty uh, preparing us for the end of the record, which is this long version of Froggy Went Accordant. But I mean, it's it's just a great, great cover. I've never actually heard other versions of this song. I'd like to because I really James, do and like the song. James Taylor, um, I heard a version of oh, really? uh, him doing it. Really, that was nice too. He also makes it like much more his own and more symmetrical. Um, but speaking of the weary or the the sad. Uh, he sounds really weary when he sings Diamond Joe one time towards the end in the pay of Diamond Joe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he kind of, his voice is like wavering. Something about this, I don't know, I could see Jerry Garcia in The Dead doing the song. Um, I don't, I looked it up, but I didn't find them doing it. But I know Dylan had just been playing with them a few years earlier, right? Right, yep, yep, Dylan yep. yep. The Dead. So there's a little bit of a Jerry Garcia feeling. Um, I don't know. Well, it's perfect that you mentioned that because it was something I wanted to to bring up since uh, this is the first time we're getting to this record on the show is the presentation. And I don't talk much about the packaging of any Bob Dylan record for the most part because I feel like that's – we just don't have time for that and that could – 
really be its own show is, yeah, yeah. is talking about the, the Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan record sleeves. But the good as I've been to you record is very, very strange in that, you know, on the front cover, you have this nice little warm black and white photo of Bob smiling, which is rare. Uh, he looks cool. And I like it. It's got this sort of purple lettering. But on the back cover is a photo of Bob clearly from like the mid 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it's him in the leather vest back when he was singing with the Grateful Dead and singing with Tom Petty, and yeah. it's it the, the 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 photo is just completely not contemporary with the the time of the record. It came out in 1992. Yeah. I mean, the guy on the back cover looks nothing like the guy on the front cover, yeah. and it's just like kind of baffling. And then if you get the little CD booklet. And you, you know, there's just some credits. It mentions uh, Debbie Gold, which apparently is someone that Bob has been friends with for a long time. I know nothing about her. She seemed to pop out of nowhere and then disappear once again. Like he worked on, he worked with her on these records, these folk records, and then like not again. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who this Debbie Gold person is. But if you open up the the little gatefold uh, paper inside the CD, there's just like a big close up of some texture, and hmm. that's it. No information, nothing. And it's just yeah. like what is like what a bizarre graphic design approach to take for for this record uh so it's just sort of baffling to me um and then one other thing i wanted to mention uh, before we wrap up here is uh much like i was saying about there could be a whole show of just talking about bob dylan uh album art there could be a whole uh separate podcast of talking about bob dylan's critics if you wanted to, if you really wanted to analyze how critics have interpreted Bob Dylan over these 50 years. I mean, you know, you could do come writers and critics coming soon to the Fire and Water yeah, Podcast yeah. Network. There is one review that I wanted to, to highlight because it is one of my favorite reviews of a Bob Dylan record ever. And in, a, in that pre-internet era, 1992, yes, there was a time for the internet, everybody. Um, I actually kept a scrapbook. Of Dylan clips that I would find in Entertainment Weekly or the New York Times or wherever because I just liked having all this stuff in one place. And I eventually lost it at some point. But I used to keep these. And, of course, once everything got on the Internet, there's no point in in lugging this thing around. But Mm -hmm. there was a – Entertainment Weekly ran a review of Good As I've Been To You. It ran in their November 13th, 1992 issue. It was written by someone named Billy Altman. And I'm going to read this review. It's very short. Uh, He says, uh, talk about bringing it all back home. With the dust barely settled on the recent star-studded Bob Dylan tribute, that's the third anniversary show that I went to, leave it to the guest of honor to once again send Dylanologists everywhere scrambling. Mr. Zimmerman's latest, Good As I've Been to You, is yet another of his unpredictable, inscrutable musical chess moves. A collection of 13 traditional blues, ballads, and folk songs recorded live in the studio with no overdubs all you hear all you'll hear throughout this stunningly humble offering are an acoustic guitar a spare harmonica and one singularly raspy nasally voice listen hard enough though and you just might feel the spirit of woody guthrie hovering overhead as well you could brand dylan either enormously foolish or rather courageous for releasing an album of such decomposed folk fare as jim jones a sea shanty about a british galley slave and diamond joe a texas prairie tale of cow punchers and rounders not to mention some such golden moldies as Black Jack Davy, Sitting on Top of the World, and, don't laugh, Froggy Went a Courtin'. I say <laughs> courageous, for the cumulative effect of this album is to remind us, in these divisive times, that we are the product of countless cultures and viewpoints. Those cultures and viewpoints survive through songs and stories passed from one generation to another, which is precisely what Bob Dylan, without ceremony or superstar ego, is doing here. Somebody throw that minstrel boy a coin. Hmm. I love that review, Mr. Altman. I don't know where you are out there, but I think that is one of the most – I always feel like reviewers 
when they get to Dylan Records, have a little bit of an agenda. You know, they're a little like, ah, this guy's so great. I want to take him down a peg or two. But I, I love that. I think Mr. Altman got it exactly right. And we've been talking about how these songs don't seem to be songs that Bob performed much, uh, at least in public. But yet he is doing the kind of thing that what you're supposed to do with these songs is hand them down. Yeah. I never heard of any of these songs. Well, I heard of Froggy Winter Courtin, but but before this record, I never heard of any of these songs. I didn't know Diamond Joe. I didn't know Arthur McBride. I didn't know – and now I do. Now I know what these songs are because Bob Dylan has handed them down to me. And while I'm not a musician, I feel better for knowing these songs are out there. And it's exactly what Bob Dylan was doing. And so I just wanted to highlight I, – I, I always – that that review puts a big smile on my face because I just think it was just so nice for, for this guy to sit back – and in just two paragraphs, kind of really think about what Bob Dylan is doing here, and and yeah. and and being so positive about it. So I just yeah. I love that review. He he really hits the head on the hammer on on several points. I mean, um, you know, Dylan uh, loves. It, you know, if you listen to his uh, uh, theme time radio hour, yes, uh, he plays mostly older songs. And there was someone that wrote and said, "What." Why do you play mostly uh, older stuff? And he says, well, he said, thank you for asking. <laughs> anyway, um, that is simply because there are more old songs out there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a funny, kind of, of mystifying. But, uh, you know, but for him, and this is something that he actually wrote about Izzy in the Chronicles, was um, that for Izzy, and likewise Dylan, he writes about himself, he says that uh, folk music burned like a uh, treasure like gold or something like that in front of izzy's eyes like for someone like dylan i think um it's like these songs and his songs too are alive if you sing them if you listen to them mm -hmm. talk about them um and he realizes i think also that even if a song is anonymous that there was actually somebody that wrote that song mm -hmm. and you know he get, he can step into the shoes of that person he has this uncanny way of Speaking of which, Uncanny, supposedly he didn't even have any uh, lyrics or chords when he recorded this, which I actually, on one hand, believe. I find it a little bit hard to believe on some of the songs, but I, I wouldn't put it past him because, I mean, he has like basically a photographic memory for for songs, and including his own songs, which I can't even remember. My oh, own man. Yeah, I can't And it's so funny that he mentions Minstrel Boy because I just remembered that that was one thing Diamond Joe, for some reason, also reminded me of uh, Throw That Minstrel Boy coin from Self Portrait. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something about the melody, I think. And that I could see, I can imagine him singing it in that 1970s, really laid, laid back voice. And this, this album actually has a lot of uh, parallels to Self Portrait. Um, both were most, I mean, Self Portrait is mostly covers. It's a better version of Self Portrait. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. going to say that it's it's a more cohesive, uh, you know, collection of of songs that inspired him than self portrait. Self portrait to me is a mess. <laughs> it's I, a mess. There's a lot of good material there, but it's a mess of a of a final product. To me, good as I've been to you, is much more focused. Yeah, although I would say both make really good background music for like dinner. You know, like dinner, like self portrait. I could put it on in the background. I don't have to listen to the lyrics. It's just pleasant. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a little uh, um, up and down. And you're right. This album is superior in terms of like there's a there's a vision and it's like an acoustic set. I mean, that has this great open yeah. 
opening blues. It gets you know to the meat in the middle, and then at the end, it's like he often starts or ends with like a song that's a little bit different. You know, in, in Froggy When a Corton is just like for me, that's like a, he must sing this to his grandkids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get the sense that if there was such a thing as Bob Dylan just singing one night by himself, not by himself, but like singing alone at a at a cafe, which, of course, doesn't happen. But if it did, I feel like these are the songs he would play. Yeah. You know, he's not going to play his own songs. He's not going to play Battle of a Thin Man. He's going to sing these songs. And that, yeah. that it's a very intimate record, as is the next one. It's another record, World Gone Wrong, we haven't gotten to yet. But I, I want to. And, I, you know, like I said, I think these are – we all we all um, realize, you know, at the time, uh, it did seem like, oh, boy, is this it? You know, is this – he's done now. He's done <laughs> yeah, Under yeah. the Red Sky is going to be the last record of original songs. It's He's now just going to do folk covers. And if the, and I remember buying these records at the time. And if, if I, I – at the back then I remember thinking, well, if this is it, if this is what he's going to do the rest of his career, that's fine. That's great. Yeah. You know, I love these records. I think they're great records. Now, of course, he came swinging back just a couple of years later. Uh, and now, you know, with the Sinatra stuff, we have a context now. Kind of, we can look at people have been looking back at the Sinatra records and saying, well, maybe the Sinatra records are the 2000s version of Good As I've Been To You and World Gone Wrong, where they're like, yeah. OK, he's going back to his roots. He's going back to stuff he likes, maybe to, to find some new vein to tap for original mm-hmm. songs. So we don't we don't know. It's been a long time as I mentioned. It's been um 8 years now since his last collection of original songs, which is the longest gap ever in his career. Yeah. So but uh, but na- anyway, going back to Good as I've been to you, I just think it's a it's a really great record. I listen to it quite a lot for for a, an album of old folk tunes, most of which I didn't know. I I, I play a lot of these songs. It's a really terrific terrific collection. You know, um, you must have read that this was a contractual thing that, I mean, he, he was in the studio uh, with a band and they had done like 13 Yeah, the stuff with Dave Bromberg. Yeah, he did I, like that, a bunch of That's never of been ele- released, right? No, right? no. no? He, so that, that would make a bootleg. I mean, that could be its own bootleg. The bootleg series, the Bromberg sessions, yeah. done. And, <laughs> but I think, you know, people were wondering why he went in and decided to do this instead. And I think it's like he... You know, you always want to do your best work. And I think that the recipe hadn't been working so well with the Under Red Sky. He wanted to try something different. And probably he just wanted to, like, sit down and preserve some of these songs that he knew he could do well. And then after doing a bunch of them, he was like, well, this actually sounds pretty good. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe this is what we should do instead. And for any Dylan fan, I mean, this is what we want to to hear uh, is, like, Dylan making... I mean, because it's harder in a way to do it solo because you you're responsible for every sound, and on the other hand, you also have more control over every the, your sound world. You know, you're making every sound, so it's um it's great. Yeah, like I like you said, it's uh it's just uh, it's pleasant uh, pleasant to hear. and charming fun and uh, quirky and, and, and so Dylan he's uh but thanks so much for having me back. Uh, Rob, I'll do this anytime. Thank you obviously. so much. Thank you for, for coming back. I really do appreciate it. And, and as I said, I like covering – I mean any song is fun to cover. But I mean I really – it was after so many episodes, I was like, God, we haven't gotten – there's whole records we haven't touched yet. Yeah. Uh, and so I was happy to finally talk about Good As I've Been To You because I just, I just think it's a great record. So thank you so much for coming back, Nathaniel. And why don't you Absolutely. tell people where they can find you on the internet? Sure. And – Remind me to tell you about last time I saw uh, Dylan last summer. It was it was a very good show. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so um, I make my own music uh, under the name uh, Deepak. That's D-I-I-P-A-K. You can find me on Spotify, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Deepak or Deepak Music with a K, the Swedish spelling music, <laughs> Deepak Music. And um, so, yeah, and uh, I make my own music. I'm also doing um, a lot of uh, dealing covers, uh, mostly live, but I've been working on an album for many years that I really need to <laughs> wrap up <laughs> this summer, hopefully. Um, and um, yeah. Stay in touch. All right, great. Like I said, of course, everybody, if you want to find back episodes of the show, go to our website, findwaterpodcast.com. We are also on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're always talking Dylan over on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. And then finally, if you want to support the Find Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can make uh, different levels that you can support the network at. And one of the rewards you can get is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So I had to give a special thanks to Robert Ward and another uh, pledger or donator, whatever you want to call them, a uh, generous person who will remain masked and anonymous. So thank you so much for your support of Pod Dylan. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, we will see you guys later. Bye. Cousin one out the McBride As we went walking down by the seaside Now my foot followed and what did we tie Of it being on Christmas morning Now for recreation we went on a tramp And we met Sam's napper and copper lamp And a little we drummer Good morning, good morning, the sergeant did cry, and the same to you, gentlemen, intending no harm, but meant to pass by, I'd be an old Christmas morning. That says he, my fine fellows, if you will enlist, it's ten guineas and gold. Blankets to my buddy, get a fleece to Diamond Joe.